0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 63. Spiritual satisfaction. Christian life is viewed by so many people in so many ways. It, for some... Is an occurrence along the week. It happens and uh, it's an obligation that has to be met. It's just part of life's schedule. For others, though, it is the essence of life. This psalm talks about that spiritual satisfaction. Living in a state of yearning for God to see Him and everything, to receive from Him, and to ponder on Him and all that He's done for the individual. This is an individual. Uh, it's not a lament. It's a. It's it's an individual. Uh, oratory. It's a prayer, of course. It's a song. But it deals with the person. In this case, of course, it's David. So let's look at it. First of all, to be spiritually satisfied means that a person is longing for God. A song of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Probably on a military campaign. Not a very pleasant place to be. And. He reflects upon his. Spiritual life. Oh my. God. Early. Will I seek you. You cannot seek God unless he has sought you out first. That's what we are told in Romans. So here we see that David is someone who knows God and he, and he, he calls him his, his God. He, he claims to have a relationship with God and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you can ask people who are supposed to be Christians how their relationship is with God and they get all tongue-tied. They don't really know how to respond to that. It's kind of sad. Makes you wonder. In this case, however, David is a man who is in pursuit after the heart of God. Sometimes he's in a victory chant with his soldiers having just come off the battlefield having won the battle. Sometimes he's in the palace. Sometimes he's hiding from enemies. Sometimes he's shepherding sheep. Many times he's just praying from a heart filled with Fear and need. Here he's just in an individual time with his God. And he says here that he is seeking God. It's okay to seek after God once God has sought you out. For example, the life of a believer should be the life of a disciple. A disciple is a lifelong commitment. It, it's not something where you know, I finished, I finished uh, Sunday school, and I'm out of high school now, and I'm, you know, it's not that at all. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's that which becomes part of life, and life is incomplete. Without seeking God in everything that happens. This is a kind of thing that grows in the life of a person. This growth involves discovery, discovering how early on the importance of God was seen in a particular kind of way, but there were other things in life that seemed necessary. But as the disciple grows and becomes nearer to the Lord through his his communication with God, reading God's Word, and it never it listen, it never comes out the same. When uh, when you study the Word of God and you study it over again, you go back through the Bible, it never speaks to you in the same way because it's alive. It's 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 a living thing. It is the word of God and it, it is God communing, communicating with, with his own. And it's something where the spirit of God bears witness with the spirit of, of the individual. And this, this communication creates a nearness. It, it creates intimacy. It, it creates a closeness that continues to be close if you're around people. All the time, you discover more and more things about those people. It could be a husband, a wife, it could be children, it could be a friend that you've had for a long time. But you begin to see things in life. There's a, there's a, Greek, there's a Greek word, uh, the merciful, blessed are the merciful. Elemon, the Greek word speaks of crawling into another person's skin. And living his life. And when you understand life the way that he lives it, then you can understand mercy. It's easy to criticize or critique someone unless and until you have tried to live that person's life and see the way that it is. This is what we're to do in our relationship with God. We should make everything a part of our uh, relationship with God. And here's what happens, I can tell you from experience. The things that were important to you earlier in life become meaningless. You don't need those things. You come to realize that. You don't need those things anymore, but you always need God and you need him more and more. This is what is spoken of here with this very powerful verb, early will I seek you. Uh, over in the Hebrew, I have it highlighted. I will, I will start out this way, and it is consistent in the life of David, and he declares that God is his God. You and I can read the Bible. We can read the scriptures And we can claim that the God of the Bible is our God, that the Son of God is our Savior, that the Spirit of God has taken up residence in our lives because these truths are communicated to us in His Word. And and in a greater and greater sense, we can proclaim more loudly and more loudly in life with with a greater firmness that God is my God. This is my God. Jesus is my savior. So knowing this, he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land without water. Mm, Is it Psalm 42? The, The deer pants for water. This is a, this is another way that David writes about his need for God. Now, the illustration is clear to him because he is in a desert, probably with his army, probably on some campaign in the midst of the military. But wherever he is, in whatever mission he may be performing or whatever work he may be doing, whatever service he may be offering, all of it has in the center His his insatiable desire, his, that's not a good word, his his growing and longing desire for God, to know God. I can tell you, David, having gone through experiences, and you know, it, it started back when he was a shepherd boy, and he didn't ask to be the king, but God appointed him the king, and God, through the prophet, anointed him, and he spent a long time under the threat of death and running from Saul. We, we've studied all of this. You, you get an idea of how difficult David's life has been. He's always had enemies. He didn't ask for these positions. He didn't ask to be placed in the position of a king, which naturally put him in opposition to Saul, who was the king for a time. And then later in opposition to his own son. And it put him in a place where people were always um, lying about him and, and telling falsehoods on him. And those, those painful parts of his life are reflected uh, in his Psalms. David goes through life facing one difficulty after another. He's a very emotional man. But he isn't afraid to express his emotion And all through his life, every experience drove him closer to God. That's why why he's called a man after God's own heart. Now, what happens to Saul when he faces the greatest difficulty of his life? What does he do? He goes to a witch. There's a big difference there between Saul and David. David, on the other hand, even, even when he collapsed in personal sin... And the prophet confronted him. Even then, he would accept the place of a sinner. And he would confess his sin. And he knew that there were consequences then. And they came. They came harshly into his life. But in everything, regardless of how hard it was in his life, he found that God was there because God had established a relationship with him. It is God who establishes the relationship. Then when he establishes the relationship, we can, we can pursue the things of God. It's the way it is in the life of a Christian. So you've come to Christ, you're in Christ. And now the spirit of God compels you to worship and to study the word. The spirit of God compels you to serve in some way. Even in service, you can see the hand of God in certain things and you grow Peter says you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You grow and grow and this is a lifelong process and David is reflecting it here. Life for me is a pursuit of you, Lord. That's what he says. So even on the battlefield, he would seek a deeper relationship with God. He would see the hand of God in whatever was happening As I looked for you in the sanctuary, so do I long to see your power and your glory. Now, David had an experience in the tabernacle, the the sanctuary, it was a tabernacle in David's day. It wasn't a temple yet. And he experienced the power and the glory of Yahweh. But even beyond that, he would see the power and glory and strength of Yahweh in in turning the tide of battle on the battlefield, in keeping him alive when all the odds were against him and his enemies sought to kill him and the enemies outnumbered him and restoring restoring the minds of people who had otherwise... uh, Hated David. And God had the power even to change their hearts and to change their, uh, the words that came from their lips. He had seen this in all of his life. He'll continue to see it as, as long as he lives. And he says, you know, wherever I am, I want to, just like I did in the, in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, I want to experience your power and your glory. I can only believe and I cannot think that it would be any other way in the life of a Christian who has been a Christian for some time. Could stand at this point in life and look back over, over years of Christian living and Christian service where that person couldn't help but see in his life or in her life the power and glory of God things come about and they happen and you develop in Christ and develop in such a way that it it you didn't dream of before this is because he's the potter and we're the clay and he chooses to do these things for us and in our lives we can see where he was at where he was at the crossroads Telling us which way to go. Changed our lives completely. He was, he was with us when what seemed to be a difficult decision had to be made. Or, or some, some relationship in life had become embittered and, and we, we turned it over to the Lord. We've seen the power and the glory. Those of us, listen, if you've been around the block a few times as a Christian, you have seen the power. And the glory of God, not just in your personal life, but in the matters of the world, really. We study the Bible and we see that the conclusion of man's story is already written. And nothing is going to keep the world and the nations and the, the leaders of nations from that final conclusion. Nothing. So we can look and see even things in, in the world that are happening, the power and glory of God. So this is his longing. He said, you know, every day that I live, just like I saw it in the, in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, I long to see your power and glory. That's a great thing. In the daily routines of life, believing and knowing and longing that you can see and experience the power and glory of God. Well, then it moves from there to worship. For your loving kindness is better than life. Now there's that word uh that, that word it speaks of the covenant love of God. It it is it comes from God to us. It can never go from us to God. He pours out, so it may be translated mercy or something like that in your Bible, but it's, a, it's the word in the Old Testament. The root is chesed. It's a, it's a word that describes God's emotional relationship with those whom he has declared to be his own. When he establishes this relationship and he does it from forever, then he takes, he assumes the responsibility of holding on to us, making sure that we're his. This covenant love is better than life because it goes beyond life. It carries us from this life into the next life. And this is what David is praising God for. Your loving kindness, your covenant love toward me is better than life. What did the psalmist say in another time as he gazed into the infinite array of stars? Who is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man. That you would visit him. How small we must feel. And yet God establishes a relationship with us. And he says you know. This relationship. This covenant love. That you have given to me. Is better than life. My lips will praise you. Now this is part of worship. It's difficult for me. to think of someone as a christian as a child of god who does not have in the course of time an innate desire to worship now worship is not just st- standing up and singing it's more than it's much more than that but it is too It is to express and receive the worthiness of God in everything that happens. It is included in prayer. We can worship God in so many ways. And this is what David does. And he writes songs. Music was a big deal to him. I will praise you. My lips will praise you because you saw fit to establish a relationship with me that is an eternal relationship. Nothing can change it. Thus I will bless you in my lifetime. the, The Hebrew word, it means to strike the knee. To take, to assume the position of unworthiness and gratitude. That's what it means. Thus I will bless you in my lifetime. As long as I live, I will bless you. In your name, I will lift my hands. And he says, In my lifetime. There are some things that we know we're going to do. Now, I'm reminded of the song that was so popular some time back. I can only imagine. Pretty good song. It was deep, I thought. It, it, it expressed, you know. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm rather reserved in a lot of ways. I don't dance. It would be entertaining if I did, but uh, I don't dance. When I was 10 years old, I did the twist. That's the only thing I've ever done in my life with regard to dancing at a birthday party. I was forced to. They were mean to me. But I'm an emotional person like anyone else is. And in that song, he says, what am I going to do? Am I going to dance? Am I going to just fall down? I think the latter is probably what we'll do to begin with. Because that's what the prophets did in the Old Testament when they came into the presence. Into the theophany of Yahweh. They just fell like a dead man until the Lord said, Get up, and then it's okay. So, you don't know, but we know in this lifetime, I will be grateful. I will strike the knee and be humble in your presence. In my lifetime, this is how I see myself before you, and in your name. I will lift my hands as with choice foods and fat. Now, this, this is interesting because we went through Leviticus not too long ago. And surely you remember that the fat belonged to Yahweh. That was supposed to be the juicy stuff. Jack Sprat could eat no fat. His wife could eat no lean, right? the fat, the choicest part of the sacrifice was set aside for Yahweh. David says, I'm satisfied with choice foods and fat. He says, my soul will be satisfied. He's talking about a spiritual satisfaction and what he's saying is that which Yahweh takes for himself, he gives it to me. He blesses me with that which I have blessed him. He shares it with us. My soul will be satisfied when my mouth praises with joyful expressions of song. You cannot help But express your thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh who has saved you, who keeps you saved, who has assumed the responsibility of establishing a relationship with you and has guaranteed that he will bring you to himself and that nothing, as Paul writes to the Romans, nothing above, nothing below. Nothing in the spiritual world, nothing in the physical realm, not any created thing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is because God is for us. Earlier in that same Romans 8, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it's not going to happen. This is part of our praise. And to know that God gives to us That very thing which he takes for himself. A a joy. A happiness. An expression in life. A peace. Of reconciliation. That is ours. In Christ. Well the next thing then is that God. Cares for us. When I remember you on my bed. In the night watches, I meditate on you. So he's in his tent. He's by himself. It's nighttime. It's a a time that's quiet. And nothing is happening. But even then, he cannot help but remember all that Yahweh has done for him. So lying on his bed at night in the, in the deep part of the night, he says, I meditate on you. You know, there are all kinds of things you can think of when you're there at night. David had a rich life to reflect upon and to think about all of the times that God was with him as he would meditate. But there could have been that day in the heat of battle, an arrow that narrowly missed his chest or a spear that narrowly missed his head. The child of God in the depths of night alone with thoughts filled of our God. That child of God can reflect upon countless things in life where God has been with us. He has, he has shown himself. He has revealed his power, his glory, his care to reflect upon that. How he has cared for Our children, how he has cared for our home, our work, various and sundry things that God does for us, countless things that we can reflect upon in a time of meditation. For you were my help. So in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Now we've talked about the shadow of his wings many times. It describes the place in the Holy of Holies. There's the Ark of the Covenant. It houses mainly the Ten Commandments. And the Ark of the Covenant keeps the Ten Commandments. This is Christ. It's a type of Christ. And the the lid of that wooden box, coated in gold, was the mercy seat, representative of the wood and the gold both deity and man, this is Christ. And he is the one who cares for us and he keeps, he keeps those laws, that tablet of the law. We can't keep it. It's impossible for us to be obedient. But the mercy seat once a year on, Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement is when the high priest would take the sacrifice and spill the blood and sprinkle it, spill it on the mercy seat And Israel would shout with joy because God has guaranteed their salvation. He accepts by the work of the high priest the acceptable sacrifice that is made and the blood is sprinkled. And this is where this is where this place is where the shadow of the wings of the images of the cherubim would extend upon the mercy seat in the shadow of your wings. In the the New Testament, there's an interesting verb that's used in the Greek text where, where the sinner, the tax gatherer, with the proud Pharisee, the tax gatherer falls down before God and he says, be mercy seated to me, the sinner. This is our great need. So David here says, I rejoice in the shadow of your wings. The blood has been spilled For me, I have your word, your promise, your covenant that I am saved, I am delivered, and I rejoice in that. Finally, there's victory in God. My soul has clung after you. Your right hand has supported me. Now, the right hand, and that's a Hebraism. It means in the Old Testament, the hand of authority, the hand of power. Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty. This right hand has supported David even when he didn't deserve support. But those who seek my soul to destroy it, may they go into the lower parts Of the earth. Well, that's pretty clear. They will fall by the sword, they will be the portion of jackals. Their corpses will become food for wild animals. This is the king leading his soldiers into battle. And those who are coming after David are literally coming after the promise of Christ because David carries within himself the promise of Christ. So he says, they're seeking to destroy my soul. They should be killed and lowered down into Sheol, the grave, to fall by the sword and just to be consumed by wild animals. But the king, this is David speaking in the third person of himself, which is, royal court verbiage, all right? But the king will rejoice in Elohim, in God. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouth of those who speak lies will be closed. There is this, W.A. Criswell Many, many years ago, Pastor First Baptist Dallas, he's been in heaven for a long time, but he preached a sermon. It was a sermon on a particular time when Saturday, when New Year's Eve happened to fall on a Saturday night. His people had implored him to preach all the way through the Bible and take them from Saturday night into the new year preaching this message and he called it the scarlet thread of redemption and he started back with the creation of man he took went all the way of course he summarized and and so forth as he went through all of the bible and preached the story of redemption from creation to consummation that would finally carry the people of god into the glorious kingdom of which there would never be an end the scarlet thread of redemption now here is a truth in human history there have been um you know there's a guy Hammurabi how many of us really think of how great Hammurabi was not many of us well i mean we could use all these old ancient names of kings and leaders, and we only know them because they were discovered carved in cuneiforms, hieroglyphics. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known them. Nobody that was alive at the time that dug up the cuneiform was told by his granddaddy about Hammurabi or anybody else. They just disappear. The nations of the world, the kings of the world, the people of the world who do not boast in Yahweh who swear by Yahweh they just disappear. They, they go away and unless we, and there's no telling what all about the history of mankind that we have yet to uncover, we don't know anything about. But there's one thing we do know, that our great God is the creator of everything and he has declared that he will always have a people in every generation. And his word lives, and the account of his people lives. And so we boast, we brag about the power of our God, our Savior, but then there are those who swear their allegiance to the world, the ways of the world, for the here and now, selfishly and with pride seeking their own glory And what happens to them? Their mouths are closed. They go to a Christless grave. There to sink into Hades, the netherworld, the abode of the wicked dead, until they take their turn in the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation, at which they are cast into the lake of fire. You don't have anything about their testimony, the the greatness of what they found in their lostness. It's not there. Because their mouths are closed, they speak lies. They did not swear themselves to the absolute truth of God and His Christ, and their mouths are closed. Finally, at their judgment at the great white throne, there is nothing they can say. Because the books that are opened bring a horrific account and charges and indictments against them. And they had no savior to wipe the slate clean for them. And so their mouths are closed. This is how David ends this very personal psalm in Psalm 63. Let's pray and we'll be through tonight, okay? Father God in heaven, thank you for the privilege of having a deepening and growing personal relationship with who you are. Thank you for your grace that is extended to us. Oh Lord, help us that we might live for you every day and that this testimony that we've read tonight can be our testimony in our own way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.